Hey, Mitchell. Hey, Matt. How are you? I'm pretty good. Good afternoon to you. Uh, thank you, sir, and good morning to you. So you're being recorded, and I'm going to publish this to the entire interweb, and everybody's going to know what you say. <laughs> they, sh they can know what I say. We'll, we'll, it's up to them if they want to listen to what yeah, I say. Yeah, or yeah they can <laughs> just trust what I say. They can just click uh, close and be done. Um, <laughs> so let me just uh, recap why I've got you on the phone right now. Um, with uh, Nevin over at Engine Hosting, I took over the, the hosting of the Help Chat, the e Help Chat. Uh, we've done about three so far, and, and the second one um, caught me on a day where I was getting, I, I was, my, my head was in business, and I was thinking thoughts about um, uh, something I think about pretty much every January and February after business has been really slow through November and December, and I think to myself, it'd be really good if I could take control over lead generation, be, be good if I could exercise more control over the sales pipeline. Um, but I never want to ask anybody how they do it because I feel like I'm too embarrassed to ask. I feel like I ought to know and people ought to just assume that I've got it together and I know exactly what I'm doing and um, I know how to go out and bring in new clients and I'm never worried. But that's not actually true. I don't feel that way and I don't think anybody else does after this help chat that I uh, that we had a, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Um, so I emailed you and asked you if you'd want to get on a phone call and talk to me um, about uh, your thoughts, get, in, get into a conversation about generating leads and get into a conversation about how you as a leader of a company um, along with your other uh, partners and uh, stakeholders, how you guys generate business, uh, how you guys control your pipeline or do you? Um, so you agreed to be the first on this topic and I'm going to be having this conversation with a few other people in the community and my purposes are selfish. I want to know what other people are doing, what the smart kids are doing. And, and uh, <laughs> if there's something that I'm missing that I could be doing to make my company better and stronger and put more of more of it in, in my control. So sure. you, what do you think? Do you want to talk about that? Absolutely. And, and actually, you know, I think it's, I think it's a totally uh, reasonable way to think. I know there are things um, just on my day-to-day -day running of an agency that yeah, I'm sure people assume that we just besides sales that we just people assume that we have you know totally down pat and we know everything but I you know I just have no idea how other people are, are doing it and um, you know sometimes I feel like I could learn a lot of things from other people as well so I think it's a great idea I think there's I think there's a lot to learn and, and to be truthful one of the things that has has this topic in my mind is some of the conversations that came out of EECI in Texas. Um, and in particular, um, Brad Parscale got up and, and gave a, a talk really on this, on this point, basically describing how he had structured his, his company um, to have a really strong uh, sales pipeline. And a lot of people, we, we all looked at each other like, oh, you can actually exercise control over this. And, and this can be part of your craft in, in the running of your company. Um, how you conceptualize and shape things such that you have a continual flow of incoming leads, um, a continuing flow of incoming business uh, around which you can do a lot of planning and building. So I've been interesting in approach, interested in approaching this topic and talking to other people who, who are, are better at it than me. So um, just in case anybody has missed uh, the opening credits, um, this is Matt Weinberg of uh, Vector Media out of New York. I'm Mitchell Kimbrough with Soul Space. 
And um, let me just ask you, Matt, what do you guys do over at Vector? How do you, um, how do you, how do you control the, the pipeline of incoming work? Do you advertise? Do you network? What sorts of things work for you? Sure. I think it's a lot of everything. And, and you know, we definitely don't have um, just always uh, the same consistent amount of work coming in. There are, you know, months that it seems like we're, we're just getting tons and tons of new business and tons of new leads. And there are some months where it, it seems less that way. And on those months, we're focused, you know, more on just executing uh, the work we have. So although we're fortunate enough to get a lot of incoming business, it's definitely not a hugely, um, it's not exactly the same level every month. But you know, I, I would say our business comes from a number of different places. Uh, the first one is definitely referrals. Uh, our number one source of new business to that question is just clients that like our work, hopefully, and um, they, you know, they either have a new project or they recommend us to friends or they tell people about us. And there's actually sometimes a, a big lag time uh, between us launching a project and us starting to get referrals on it. So a client will work with us, we'll launch a project, and then even you know, two years later. Somebody emails us and says, hey, you know, this person at this company said you guys are great. We get a very significant amount of business that way. Um, that's that's one of the reasons that we really try to focus on making sure that all of our clients are just super happy. Um, we're very focused on customer experience because we know that a good portion of our future business is going to come because we make our current customers happy, as, you know, as opposed to just kind of doing a one-and-done type thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely the same on, on my side, and, and I wonder, um, given that this conversation will be heard by a few people in the community with uh, companies of different sizes, from freelancers to larger organizations like you run, um, I mean, probably everyone can say that's their top, um, that's their, their top lead generating uh, tool is referrals from existing customers, whether the customer has new projects that they have or Maybe there's a connection within the organization for new projects or someone completely on the outside, uh, they're going to refer new business over to you. And your, your best advertising is doing excellent work. Um, I sometimes find, though, that um, when we take on a client that's not a good fit and we do the job and they're ultimately not completely happy, mainly because the fit wasn't right, yeah. then we've actually spent a lot of advertising dollars if you let me speak figuratively and that's money wasted because we don't have a completely happy client because the fit wasn't right we took on something that we wouldn't really ever be able to execute well and we're not going to get any referrals out of it do you guys do any pruning on your side what, what do you do with your client selection do you find that's the case with you as well yeah i mean that's a great point right because one of the really, really nice things about a good referral, if you have a great client, you have a, a great client relationship, you're doing excellent work together and they refer you to somebody, one of the best things about that is that there's an immediate sense of trust. You know, that, that new referral trusts you because their friend recommended you and, and we trust them because we know our client would, you know, wouldn't send us somebody who we, we wouldn't like. And so you get to skip a lot of the, the first just... Um, the first do we trust each other type spot type yeah. work that you'd Absolutely. have to do with other uh, other prospects so to go back to what you're saying you're absolutely right there's an opportunity cost if you take a bad client that's not a right fit and and there are clients that aren't good fits for all of us then not only are you giving yourself a bad project but you're losing out on all those future revenue streams of a happy client and we have 
we have so many clients right now that um, you know I just we got them. I, I just feel like oh, we were so lucky that we happened to do this project for this person three years ago, and they happened to know this person. They happened to know this person. You know, a huge amount of our projects are like that. So I totally agree with you. Um, if you're taking bad projects, it's gonna it, when it's not a right fit, it, it's gonna mess you up in your current timeline, and it's just gonna it's not gonna be good for you in your future referral flow. Uh, but we're not you know we're not perfect at that either. Uh, we definitely we definitely can be better than we are now at at pruning bad work before we start it and and even just in the middle of a project if, if things aren't working out right you know taking that step and having a conversation about it with the client I think we need to get better about that I mean do you do you have that conversation with clients a lot do you tell them you're not a good fit and is there, do they argue with you or is it yeah we um, you know in the last maybe two or three years um, I can't tell you why we started focusing on this. I think it's mainly because I brought in a, a new client manager who one of the first things she noticed was how we had no filter. We just we just took everybody. We had no filtering. Um, I mean, we, we didn't have an active filter on the front end. We had filters on the back end in the sense that, well, okay, the project's failing and crashing because you're not, you don't have a good relationship with someone and there's not a good fit and they, uh, they have expectations that really couldn't ever be met by your uh, capabilities um, and that falls apart so the client goes away or the you know the job fails or you lose a bunch of money that's a filter we should ha should have had filters on the front end so this person came in and um, was really interested up front with let's not even write a proposal until we can validate this client is is a good fit and by good fit we should be more explicit you and I about what that means in our case it means um, there's something, there's a question I always ask, it's really important, and I ask it in different ways, and sometimes I don't ask it explicitly. I want to know if this client's cut out for what they're trying to do. For example, if they want to do a big e-commerce project with, that's really complex, are they ready? I mean, are they ready to be the client of a difficult, complicated software project? Yeah. Um, if this is their first one, and it's really complicated and ambitious, they're probably not a good fit for me. Um, because my team's not set up to walk someone through a really difficult, complicated process if it's their first time. So that's an example of a filter uh, through which we try to put clients. Um, okay. You and I had a phone call some time ago before the holidays, um, and you and I talked about how uh, for big jobs, we actually charge people up front to do a discovery process that, uh, that results in a proposal. So we get people to pay you know five or ten hours of research and discovery time to go in and understand what it is they want it's an opportunity for us to interview them and really put it, put ourselves in a position to talk to them and everybody we're going to be working with on the on their side to know if they're going to be a good fit if there's a good personality fit to know if they are um, technically skilled and able to be a good partner on the client side so you know, we do some filtering there and we've found that many things have improved um, and in, for this, for the purpose of this conversation, the referrals that we get from those jobs are much, much better. The quality is much higher. And you, you may find we, we find this, uh, and that we actually sometimes get referrals from people that weren't the right fit at the beginning. So, in other words, we go through. We don't have as formal discovery process as you do, even though I think I think that's a great that's a great thing. But um, sometimes we'll we'll tell somebody, you know, no, this isn't right for for whatever reason. And um, 
I think they respect the honesty. I think a lot of clients or a lot of potential clients respect the idea that, you know, you're, you want to only work with people that are the right fit. And we've actually received referrals from those kinds of people too, you know, that we didn't work with us, but they, they felt like we were honest with them and, you know, that we weren't just trying to do anything for their business. Um, and so they, they sent us to their friends. I don't know if you find the same thing. Yeah, I definitely believe that's uh, that's the case. And it's I have a lot of faith in that, first of all. But I, you know, empirically, that's been the case, too. There's lots of examples where someone comes to us with a project that is a better fit. And they say, um, you know, we I heard about you through so-and-so. And they said you wouldn't work with them. but And they were disappointed, but they respected that you were honest about it. And... And really, when someone's uh, coming to um, an agency such as what you and I run, as opposed to maybe a, a freelancer type person, they're even with a freelancer, I guess they're coming for the trust. They're coming for the um, the relationship. The technical piece, I mean, you can you can partner with or hire whomever you need to, for a given job to fill out the technical deficiencies that you may have. Um, but they come for the trust and they come for the relationship. So. I've found that trying to exercise some control and, and craft that relationship ability um, has been really profitable for us and has also resulted in a lot of work, workplace uh, enjoyment and, and fulfillment. So um, insofar as that helps the referral stream, that's a really good point to talk about. I think most of the people listening to this conversation are going to agree that the vast majority of their incoming business from month to month is referral for referral based word of mouth so we should spend more time thinking about how to improve that and make that better so that leads me to a question with respect to word of mouth and referral what do you do proactively to uh, encourage that is there do you incentivize your old clients to pass the word do you give them a discount on future work do you follow up with them a year later and say, hey, how's your project going? Do you happen to know of anybody else who might need some work done? Do you do anything proactively or does it all just kind of come in a more passive way? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, again, I think we could be doing more here. You know, w- one thing that we do is we, we try to get our clients onto um, an ongoing relationship with us. So whether that means a retainer, or whether it means a large retainer, it means a couple hours a month, just maintenance, bug fixes, new features. Um, we think that it's really important that once a site is launched, you're you know you're just constantly doing work to improve it, seeing seeing your analytics and and seeing how you can make it better. And we want to be there, and we want them to know that we're we're going to be there for them. And so with a lot of clients, we just we have an ongoing relationship by virtue of the fact that we're you know having our monthly calls or our weekly calls or whatever to, to do the retainer. We've started reaching out to some of our clients, maybe not end clients, but we work with a lot of other agencies, um, and we've started doing some reach out if we haven't heard from an agency in a while, and just said, hey, you know, just here's what we've been working on lately. Just, just FYI, you know, we've been doing this responsive work. Check out this cool thing, you know, we did for this client. Here's some, here's a cool project, and we did this and this. And a lot of times the agency will say, oh, well, we have actually, it's funny that you guys do this. I didn't know you did that. You know, because you work with them on one project and a lot of people just kind of put you in that bucket in their head, you know, like that's what you do, um, which is fine, totally understandable. But if we if we go back to them and just say, hey, just for your interest, we did this and this and this lately and we did this and this and a lot of times they'll come and say, oh, well, you know, we have a prospect that maybe we can partner up with, you know, partner up on that has kind of a similar need. 
So we find that it can be very helpful to go back to our clients and tell them about the other things we do. Um, even though we may have told it to them at the beginning, like when we're doing the sales process, they may not remember. They may really only remember us for the things that we did. So it's, it's good to show them examples after lunch, after they know that we're fun to work with, that we're good to work with, and we're reliable. So when you reach out to them, tell me more about what you're doing. Is that a big email blast? Are you calling individual clients or sending an individual uh, email, or what are you doing there? Yeah, it's definitely not an email blast. And I, I think that for a lot of agencies, um, like like mine or maybe like Soul Space, I think email blasts can be really helpful. I just... It's just not something we do, but we do individuals, individual calls or emails depending on the client. You know, shoot them a quick email. Hey, uh, here's some you know cool projects that we've done lately that might be relevant to your site or, or maybe not or to your clients because of this, this, and this. And just want to show you we're now we're now doing this kind of work. Or we've done a lot of this kind of work lately. Um, the other thing is, if your clients are less tech savvy, they may not be keeping up with all of the trends or just the new technologies that are out there and new ways of doing things. Responsive design is a big one. Um, we've had clients in the past ask us about mobile sites and you know, before before responsive was um, what, what it is now and maybe it wasn't in their budget to have two separate sites or anything so it lets us we can approach them and say hey you were talking about mobile or we here's another approach to mobile that we can do that might you know now fit your budget so it's always individual calling or emailing uh, we don't do any kind of monthly blasting or anything and are you reaching out to people who are on retainer, or are you reaching out to people who are who you haven't spoken to in a while? People we haven't spoken to in a while. Uh -huh. um, it's interesting about the retainer thing. You would hope, well, I would hope that if we're if we're on retainer, somebody and they're talking to us, you know, at least every two weeks because they're on retainer and we have our, our scheduled calls, that um, that they're thinking of us for those kinds of things. But actually, the case it might not be true, right? It might be true that they're just kind of thinking of you again as the retainer type people. But yeah. we've really focused on people that we maybe did a great project with a year ago, six months ago. We haven't heard from them since, but we know that they were happy and seeing what else we can do for them or their clients if they're an agency. Um, and I mean, we, we phrase it. Um, yeah, we, we phrase it basically as I just phrase it to you, which is we call and we say, "Hey, this is this is some cool stuff we've been working on. Does does any of this does any of this kind of work?" sound interesting to you? Any of these ideas sound like the kinds of things you've been kicking around in your head? Do you track all of this in a CRM? No. <laughs> um, we we have our, um, our president of business development, Stu, and he is very much just a fan of uh, like long to-do lists, you know, a text editor or maybe a paper pad and pen <laughs> and just to-do lists and that kind of thing. Uh, you know what I do, though? I actually use a, a great gmail add-on called boomerang which is like the greatest thing it's one of these things you pay ten dollars a month and it totally changes your life and you can't even imagine how you lived without boomerang it's a gmail add-on and again i think it's ten i think it's free for personal gmail accounts and, and maybe fifteen dollars a month for google business accounts and it lets you schedule emails to to just show up in your inbox after a certain amount of time so you know i can say Oh, this this client, this email from this from this client, re you know bring it back to my inbox in 15 days or bring it back in six months. And so, it's <laughs> a nightmare. That's awful. <laughs> this this urgent request, just show that to me on uh, show that to me in 2015. We'll see if it's still. But you can use it to um to also schedule sends. So 
after we launch a site, if I feel like we're not going to be doing retainer work with them or ongoing work, sometimes I'll just I'll boomerang an email for six months from now, just you know, check up on this client. And so six months from now, it'll just pop up in my email. Oh, check up on this client. I'll I'll see what they're doing. I mean, I Gmail boomerang has become just a huge part of my workflow. That sounds like a pretty pretty smart idea. Um, yeah, I've seen your ads, uh, your Google ads. How do those work out for you? Uh, those work out pretty well. Um, you know, the good good part of of our company is that it's one of the good parts of our company is that we do a lot of online marketing, SEO, PPC type stuff. So I think a lot of people when they put up Google ads, they end up wasting a lot of money. You know, just on clicks, they're paying a couple dollars a click, and people are clicking and not converting. Um, for us, they work out pretty well. They're definitely positive ROI. Um, with the kinds of projects we get, um, you know, we don't have to convert 50% of our clicks or anything to sales to make it work. We, it's a very low percentage because projects are usually at a high enough price that if, if we can get, you know, one out of whatever it is, 200 people to contact us and, and close that project, then, then those ads more than pay for themselves. Um, but on the other hand, um, I find that the more specific Google ads are better than the more general ones. So we had been running ads just around, you know, web development firm, that kind of thing. And I, we didn't get as much traction with those. The other thing I, I don't think works is, um, I think that uh, there's a lot of agencies out there that just kind of like, you know, blast all their expertise with every CMS and technology and everything on the Google ads. Um, and, and on their, you know, Bing ads or whatever it might be. But they don't have, they don't actually have a lot of expertise and they can't show that expertise on their website. And that's definitely a failing of ours. I think our website could better show expertise too. But if you're putting out those ads and people click through them and then they don't, they don't see backup for, for what you claim in the ad on your site, a lot of times they'll just go away, you know? So you should make sure that your ad actually matches what you're showing on your website because it, I think it'll, you'll get a much better market match. Yeah, okay. Um, so this, this reminds me to ask you about, um, you know, when you're on retainer with a client and you're, you know, doing some SEO work for them and tracking their analytics and maybe even participating in managing their, their AdWords campaigns, um, what's the package of services that you include in that, in that retainer relationship? And again, you know, with the overall topic of this conversation being, um, uh, referrals and increasing referrals and increasing incoming business. Um, what is it that you're doing for them that results in in more work, more work beyond just the retainer that you're already on? Um, that's a great question. So we we treat our we treat our SEO and marketing retainers actually as total and monthly monthly work is totally separate from our development work. So um, we very rarely combine those. I mean, maybe we combine the budget, but we very rarely dynamically allocate and say if their budget, I'm just making this up, if their budget is $5,000 a month, this month we'll do $4,000 worth of dev work and $1,000 worth of SEO work. It's, it's typically not like that. It's typically uh, just a, a set, you know, X amount of dev hours and X amount of SEO work or PPC work each month. Um, but I, I really think it's about showing clients the work that you're doing that's besides their work. So obviously nothing confidential or in progress or anything, but as you're going out and you're launching more sites, you'd just be very surprised at what clients um, can learn from what you show them is, is other work you're doing after it's launched. So maybe they don't realize how great you are at e-commerce. Maybe they don't realize how great you are with, with mobile work. Or maybe they don't realize how great you are with 
I don't know, you know, animations and, and things like that. Uh, so we, we're just constantly, whenever they're bringing up stuff to us, new features, new bugs, we, we make it our point to say, oh, that sounds like something we did here. Does that interest you? Yeah. A lot of times that actually leads to, you know, big new features. That's, that's, that's helpful for everybody. We, we do that too, but I feel like we fall off the cliff sometimes. You know, I get into a conversation with someone and, and we schedule the call. Maybe it's not a retainer client, but we schedule a call to talk about a new project they have in mind. And they start describing some other things just, you know, um, offhand, some other pain they have in another area. And we say, oh, you know, we, we helped solve that problem for another client. And they're like, really? You did what? But then nothing happens. So talk to me about follow-up. Like, talk to me about how you track down that additional lead that's a lead within an existing client. What do you do? Yeah. Well, I think that I think from our, from our point of view, there just has to be somebody um, who's in charge of that. So do you, do you handle most, most sales, business development, that kind of thing, or do you have somebody else on staff that helps with that? There's, uh, there's another person on the team who is the sort of the, the, the front end of that, the, the, the first uh, point of first contact. But I'm normally involved on all of the larger deals with closing those and doing the final, you know, final sales closing process. Right. So we, what I found was that um, I have so much personally on my plate that I'm that I'm trying to that I'm trying to work on, figure out, and oversee other different projects. And um, I am I am not an, a good fit for like sales follow up that kind of stuff. What'll happen is I'll give I'll give somebody oh we could do that and exactly what you just said you know they'll they'll say oh that sounds great and then, you know. I'll kind of in my head. I'll put it in. Oh well, this is on this is on their this is on their side now. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's like their yeah. turn to reply. Yeah, um, and big fail there because I do that all the time and it's gone. That's money gone. Exactly, exactly. And but we're we're developers, so when you're a developer, I think that's just kind of the a way you think, which is like, okay, you have to do this. Check, you did it. Now the next thing happens, and the next thing would theoretically be on their side, but you know your clients are busy too. Um, so if we are if we are starting to get into a conversation with a client where we're talking about you know a new batch of work, I immediately bring in Stu, our president of business development, and um, even if bringing him in means just CCing him, you know, getting it on his list, uh, sometimes it means that he takes takes over talking to him from there. If we have to scope out and spec out a whole new thing, but sometimes it just means that he's kind of in the loop about this. And so I know that um, if I say to the client. You know, oh well, it's it would take this and this and this, and it would take 50 hours or whatever it might be, um, and they don't answer because it's it's kind of entered our sales funnel. I know that Stu will be there to to follow up with them after the appropriate amount of time and ask them. And a lot of times we'll follow up a couple weeks later and I'll say, oh, yep, I did want to do this, and then they'll sign with us. But if we had never done that follow up, yeah. it would have never happened. Yeah. But the, honestly, though, the key in this in my case, the key is sometimes just getting it off my plate because I I'm I'm not of that. I'm not very good at that mindset of just, you know, constantly following up. Yeah, I, I do the same thing. I know it took a few years to figure it out, and that was a lot of pain until I figured it out. But um, I hire that out. I'm not good at it. Uh, I don't think my brain doesn't work in terms of um, the 15 things that I'm supposed to remember to do before the end of the month. I just don't do that. Um, so I, I, I hire that out. But it sounds like you're telling me, I'm going to make an assumption that Stu is not project managing any of these jobs. He's bringing in new business and he's closing those deals and, and he's kind of working the network. Um, it, you know, how, how much of that is his 
How much of his time is spent on this particular set of tasks? Oh, uh, 100%. He's not a project manager at all. Um, he is he is absolutely 100% dedicated to business development, um, sales, and, and as part of that, really just taking it through the whole pr- uh, proposal. So it's take the whole prospecting, um, sales, proposal, getting the proposal signed, um, to helping with a lot of the specking out and getting all the information from them that we would need before we can make any kind of estimate. He's very good at those things. Once we've signed everything, uh, he does a handoff to either our development project manager, Lisa, or our um, marketing project manager, who's my business partner, Lee. So he, and then, I mean, he, you know, to say he completely steps out of it, I guess, is not accurate because if, um, if, I mean, a lot of times if the client want, the, a client will often see him still as their you know, advocate inside our company, which is, I think, totally true and totally legitimate. So a lot of times clients will still talk to him, keep him in the loop. Um, if they have issues, sometimes they'll go to him. Yeah. If they have new business, sometimes they'll go to him because I agree with that. They see him as their advocate, but he's not really involved in the day-to-day managing of, of technical projects. That, that belongs to our project manager. So what about the people who are listening to this conversation who are, are not as big as you and can't afford to have a, a full-time dedicated business development lead? Um, and I've somehow convinced myself over the years that I can't afford that. Probably need to revisit that based on how successful you've been with that, that structure. Um, but how, you know, I guess how much sales volume do you have to have to justify um, a full-time stew? Sure. Well, so the, the first thing I'd say is that um, it's worth noting that Stu is a partner in our company. Yeah. So he's not um, he's not just, you know, a full-time employee that we brought on. And I mean, he's – because I think you have to structure things correctly, right? With Stu, because he's a partner in the company, he's very incentivized for long-term success. Yeah. He's, he's very disincentivized for short-term projects, which will bring in money and cause us, like, no end of headaches uh, because – He's, you know, he's invested in the company. I mean, literally, he's a partner in the company. I think something you have to be really careful about with some with some salespeople structures is that you can incentivize them on the wrong things, which means that they just bring in all kinds of business and it's not good for business. But but they don't care because they made their commission. I'm not saying they're unscrupulous. I'm just, you know, people people act towards their incentives yeah, automatically. Yeah, exactly what you mean. Yeah. So you have to, you have to be careful. Um, but Stu, Stu is very much invested in long term, and so one way one way to maybe handle that is make sure any salespeople you have get maybe part of their commission is tied to retainer and ongoing. You know, make sure that they're bringing in clients that are gonna they're gonna get rewarded for bringing in clients that are gonna stay with you for a year after the launch, two years after the launch. Yeah. Um, well, when I've done that in the past, I've almost done the opposite, which is after talking to you is a major mistake. I've done a thing where. You know, there's some sort of a commission based on that incoming work, but it's capped at the first project. Successive projects, I told this, this, these people or this person, um, look, you know, I, after the first project, the people who are doing the sales work are the developers, obviously, who yep. are uh, causing additional projects and work to be generated. It's not you. So I, I, was, I thought that was smart, but it was actually really dumb. I was disincentivizing someone to come in and help build long-term success of the company so I'm gonna have to revisit that one for sure yeah I think it's just I think it's just hard you know what I mean because you're, you're right on the other you, you at that point after the first project it is your you know your great project manager and your great developers that are saying hey keep working with us but it's you have to make sure to balance that stuff the other thing I would say is um, I not to go back to the software again but this 
I think this boomerang software is actually very, very good. Just stepping back to what we asked before about yeah. you know following up when you remember to follow up. One one thing you can do with Boomerang is when you send an email, you can tell Boomerang to alert you if no reply to that email has been sent within X amount of days. So oftentimes I'll send a, or even before Stu, I would I would send a, a prospect a proposal or a quote or some information to a client that I'd want them to either say, okay, let's go ahead with this or, or give me more feedback. You know, you set Boomerang, hey, if there's no reply to this in the next two weeks, ping me. This way it doesn't really fall off your radar and you say, oh, well, the client really should have responded by then. Let me just give them another, you know, yeah. another uh, another follow-up. But Boomerang won't bother you if they've already replied to it. So if you're a smaller organization or a freelancer, you could potentially, and you find that you're like us and you're not really, your 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 brain cells aren't wired up to be constantly remembering to follow up, you can make software fill in the gaps um, until you have a better structure. Yeah, I agree with that. The only, the only question I'd say is that we've tried every CRM system under the sun, which we've tried, you know, Hi-Rise, and we've tried Salesforce, and we've tried Zoho, and, you know, vanilla the CRM, or whatever it's called, and um, on a lot of these, I think the overhead is just too much, you know, if you have to remember to put your contacts in, you have to remember to add this, you have to, to remember, remember to add that, and the, you don't need one more thing in your life, <laughs> you know, I don't need one more piece of software yeah. in my life right now, that's why I like the things that integrate with the tools I already use, because... I just, we used Hi-Rise for three weeks, and then it, you know, we, then we started doing stuff out of band. And once you once you stop using Hi-Rise for everything, you don't trust it for anything, yeah. you know, because you know there's stuff that doesn't live in there. Yeah. Well, my thought was to keep us to, you know, roughly a 30-minute conversation for the sake of the people who, who are going to eventually listen to this. But I, I do want to ask... Um, I mean, are, are you are you going to tell me that you don't actually do anything to go out and get brand new, totally um, uh, totally brand new strangers off the street as as clients? Are you doing anything aside aside from your advertising, you know, Google Ads and so forth, um, in the vein of networking or um, in in the vein of like cold calling or email blasts or? Uh, any other social networking? Is there anything else you do other than the referral-based uh, business development? Uh, oh, absolutely, absolutely. And sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to imply that we don't do any of that because we, we actually do a lot. We spend a lot of time on that kind of stuff. Um, we we try to spend a lot of time on really making ourselves part of the technology community in New York. This this kind of stuff I find is better in New York, you know, locally. So the just outreach um, to brand new people. I think we've got a handle on it in, in the city just where we, there's a lot of agencies, there's a lot of potential clients, there's a lot of potential work, and we can show up places, yeah. you know? So we try to do a lot of outreach in a technical community. Uh, we go to events. We, we call agencies and find out, you know, what they're working on. Not that not find out what they're working on, but, you know, just find out more about them, what kind of work they do, if they, um, if they work with other companies. Um, we make ourselves known just in various... Uh, not only through sponsorships, but just by going places, talking to people, and, and seeing what they have going on. Um, we like to refer a lot of business to other people. So if, if, if something's not a good fit for me, but I still think it's a good client, maybe it's not a good client for us, but a good client for someone else, I'll often refer them to somebody else, maybe here in the city, that um, would be a good fit. Because I know that it just, you know, if we're a better part of the community, if we're a bigger part of the community, it'll come back to us. 
um, we'll get we'll get business that way. People will remember us. People will know that oh, those factory guys they're they're good guys. Let's you know let's work with them on this. Yeah, but your whole shop is local. I mean, everybody who works for you is is right there in your office. Isn't that true? That's correct. Yeah. So when you come to an event in New York and you you know you meet someone new, um, you're able to say to them. Um, I mean, if, if you're telling me that location, location, location is one of the principles that also works for you, that works for any other business, um, you're able to say to these people, yeah, we're a shop here in New York, and everybody's sitting there in the office, come on in and find out for yourself. A lot of us, a lot of the people listening to this conversation can't say that, and I can't say that. I've very much intentionally built a company that's virtual. Um, I have almost no local footprint where I live here in Santa Cruz, California. Got a few clients here that just accidentally happen to be, to be clients, um, but I have not tapped into any of this um, local specific business development, and I some I fear that if I did, someone would say, "Oh, okay, so your you know Soul Space is a Santa Cruz shop, California shop." N- no, not really. We got people everywhere. Um, I mean, what do you think about that? Is it important that you have a team all in one spot in order to be able to take advantage of that local? Um, uh, footprint. I I don't think I definitely don't think you have to have a team in one spot. I'm, I'm a big believer in remote workers and and spread out teams and all that. And I mean not not for us. It's not my, our model necessarily. But I I know that it's a very successful model for a lot of companies like Soul Space and and other ones. Um, but I think one one issue I've seen is that uh, even though we could service clients anywhere, we have clients you know all over. America and in other countries as well. I think that when we are approaching somebody for the first time, at least in our experience here in, again in New York, when we're approaching an, an agency or something for the first time, we say, "Oh, we work with people everywhere." It, they can sometimes get the feeling like you're like you're too spread out. You know, I think some people like the comfort that you are really focused on on local and all that. And so even though we're doing work in other places, I think at least our a lot of our partnerships, a lot of our partners like to know that um, if they need to come in and speak to the team working on the project, they can. That we're that we're here, and that it just it feels like we're more part of them. Yeah. Um, we don't do a tremendous amount of creative work. We do mostly, as I said, development and marketing work. And so a lot of our partners are are creative shops. Um, and I think that I think that a lot of creative shops just they really want to sit down and meet with you you know they really want to sit down and meet with the team and, and brainstorm things and, I, and again I think that's totally a great thing so I don't know if I answered your question yeah you did I think. <laughs> you, you did you're, I mean you're confirming one thing I've known for a few years and that is that the client relationships that that we have where I have um, been able to at least once or twice sit down in person with a client um, in, a, in a meeting setting or even socially uh, you know go out to dinner or whatever those relationships have been um, worth a lot more money over time and have also been a lot more fulfilling. Um, and so although I like my virtualized company and I like the, the access I have to uh, really talented people and I don't care where they are in the world, that flexibility is nice, I, I do miss out on the, the aspect of what you're describing. Um, and um, I wonder just how much of an office I would need to build up while being able to still remain virtual in order to, to get the best of both worlds. But that's maybe another topic. Um, before we wrap up, I just want to make sure I, I have asked you and found out from you 
all the different ways that you bring business in. Um, I think I've heard the primary ways. Is there anything missing? Anything else you want to add? Um, yeah, I guess the, the other the other way is um, I, I don't know what to call this because it, it has it's a combination of our advertising and our outreach and all that. But like you, we just tend to be I think known in the expression engine community. And I think some of that has to do with you know maybe my speaking at some of the conferences, and I think some of that has to do with the advertising we do, and some of it has to do with the um, con- this conference sponsorships we do, and who maybe it has to do with Twitter and, you know, I don't, I don't know. I think it's a combination of things. And so I put all these things together and I just kind of in my head lump them as, um, known for EE, you know? And, um, we get, I think a pretty good amount of incoming business just by being known in the expression engine world. A lot of that's from, you know, other EE developers that maybe just need some, uh, dev support or extra resources on a project and they contact us for it. So maybe that's kind of like referrals, but in my head, I, I treat it a little bit differently, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. It's, um, you know, it's, I don't know, do you call it brand awareness? Is it fair to call it that? I think brand awareness is the perfect word for it. It's, it's definitely brand awareness. It's people, they just know our name. Uh, hopefully they know our name to be doing, you know, good, reliable work. Um, and I think a lot of things go into brand awareness. What about the... Um, the um the Enterprise uh, Partners Program. Have you have you seen any? Has there been a change for your business, um, in uh, with respect to that? Um, so I I don't I don't know if how much of this is um, I don't know if Ellis has, has made this kind of known yet, but I don't know if you've looked on the website lately. But uh, the the Enterprise. Enterprise Partners Program is actually gone from their website. Oh, I haven't looked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't necessarily know that a. Um, you know that they made an announcement yet. They might. I don't. Again, I, I don't know what their plans are. But uh, the Enterprise Partners Program ended. But for us, it was actually. I mean, I liked it. It was successful, though. It was only up for a short amount, short enough amount of time that it's hard to know how much of an impact it had. Yeah. You know, yeah. people people didn't necessarily say when they. When they came to us, uh, you know, if they found us through there or didn't find us through there. But the, the only other thing I'll add is this part of the brand awareness. I think there are a lot of touch points to your sales funnel. So somebody might have seen us in the Enterprise Partners Program and then left that left that website, you know, and gone to do something else. And then they're on Devotee and they see our ad. Yeah. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later, as they're trying to figure out a firm, they kind of remember us from a few different places. So maybe they look us up on Google. Well, is that a Google lead? Sure, it's a Google lead, but it's not only a Google lead. It's yeah. it's 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 the cumulative effect of everything else that we've done, yeah. even though that final touch point was Google. So I think it had an effect, but I think it was up for too short of a time to really know about really it. Know. Yeah. Um, brand awareness is really something we we could have and should have spent more time on because you're. Um, I think that's one thing that you, of the many things that you're strong about. As an organization, as also you personally, is um, you, you have a lot of strength in maintaining a brand, especially you know on Twitter. I think about your um, the tone of your uh, persona on Twitter is you're obviously mindful of the professional side of you. A lot of us on Twitter, we it's 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 play for us. It's messing around. I'm, I'm always talking about toddlers on Twitter. You know, I'm not using <laughs> it as a, as a business development tool, even though I should be. Um, so, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? How do you, 
do you think about how you present yourself? Do you worry about it? Or is that just, are you just naturally professional even on something that's as tempting as, as Twitter? Um, <laughs> I think it's a mix for me. I, I definitely don't spend a lot of time trying to, you know, purposely, let's say, carry a professional image. But um, I try to stay very, very cognizant of the fact that Twitter is, it's a public, it's a public forum. It's not just a place to, you know, complain about things. I mean, you have clients, we have a lot of our clients follow me on Twitter. A lot of potential clients probably do. And I mean, my goal for Twitter is to participate in the community. It's to find interesting information, communicate with friends and stay in touch and see what things have going on and see what things people have going on and have a little fun and hopefully, you know, help people every so often on with Expression Engine and all that. Um, I think people use Twitter for different things, but I, I very much, I very much do purposely try to not make Twitter just into a giant, you know, complaint or unprofessional fest for myself. <laughs> and, and I don't think you do that as well, except when your toddlers are acting up. <laughs> um, and it's, it's really just because it's, you know, it's a public place. You know what I mean? Just like as, I feel like if I went to a, I think a lot, too many people, I think, use Twitter as like lazy tech support. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, and I don't know, I, I find that to be just feet clutter. If, if you're having a problem, I think you should first try to figure it out yourself and second go to the, you know, more official, um, you know, kind of support areas. And you can ask people for help and that's fine. And I don't mean to discourage people asking for help on Twitter, but... Uh, you know, you want to see people asking for help after they've at least taken steps to figure it out, things out themselves, yeah. as opposed to just kind of relying on everybody else's collective knowledge, yeah. you know? So I, I really am very cognizant of that, too. Well, um, we should wrap up at some point. Any any other thoughts you want to, um, any other things you want to talk about, or maybe uh, anything you want to do to, to shape the future conversations I have with some of the other people in the community? Yeah, I mean, I have, you know, so many times you were talking about how Soul Space does things. And I, I mean, I feel like I could have a whole other conversation with you just asking you questions about how you guys are handling remote employees and project management and, and all those kinds of things that I don't think we have good, you know, we don't have a good handle on how to, on how to manage remote employees, you know? And so I, that's, that's very interesting to me. But um, one of the best things about the EE community is I think there's a big sense of camaraderie. Like, yeah. I know that... I know that we've lost projects to you, and I think that maybe you've lost projects to us. For sure. But yeah, um, I, I feel unbelievably strongly, and I've told this to Derek at Alice Lab. I've, I've, I think I've told this to you. I, I tell this to everybody I talk to. I feel very strongly that if we, if at the bigger the Expression Engine community gets, and the, the better Expression Engine does as a platform, the better we're all going to do because we are Expression Engine experts, and it just increases the whole size of the pie for all of our us to get business. You know, yeah. so. I try to I try to do what I can to really make sure that we're we're all being successful and that E as a platform is being successful. So, well, I think that uh, I mean as as far as competing is concerned, um, our, any chance we have to compete with another shop uh, is um, it's really a positive thing because I mean for if for nothing else, it just confirms that we're in a space that that there's uh, there's life there's a pulse, um, and. So that confirmation is really good. The competition is good. I mean, especially friendly competition. Um, I think there's a lot of pleasure to be had in um, developing relationships where you can be in a, in a competitive sphere. You know, you and I are probably going to compete once again one of these days for jobs, whether we know it or not. Um, mm -hmm. And to be able to, in a friendly fashion, share notes and, uh, and compare notes on, 
you know, even specific proposals that we that we didn't get or that we did get, we can improve our businesses that way. And there is there is so much work out there. Um, we just got to keep our head up. And as pertains to the topic of this conversation, there is a lot of business out there. There's a lot of need to continue to build the internet. And um, but I think if we keep in a positive mindset about it and try to help each other, like you know, like you and I do, um, I think there's just more prosperity for everybody. So I'm, you know, I'm glad you're willing to have this conversation with me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, you know, I appreciate it. And I certainly appreciate, you know, your and Soul Space's, you know, role in the community and everything you guys do for Expression Engine. Well, even when it comes to being critical of stuff, uh, you know, we went through 2012 and a lot of people got critical of Ellis Lab and how things were being run. And, and you know, I know some people in the community got their feathers ruffled that there was criticism about... Um, you know, the community itself or about the product. I really think that's good, though. I think you got to be able to, um, you, you got to show up at the holiday party with everybody in the family, and you got to be able to speak the truth to people and just make the family stronger. So, you know, my view is let's be critical of each other and let's tell the truth, but keep it on friendly terms. Yeah, I totally agree with you. It's it's tough love, and it, but it's all out of a, it's out of a good place. It's not out of just a negative place. It's out of a good place and good intentions. Yeah, I think so, too. Well, anyway, let's get to work. I really appreciate your time. I'm very grateful for you being around in the community and um, being able to talk with me today. Great. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Take care.